Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, may you grant us, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might through your Spirit and the inner man, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of Christ's love, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to you, God, who are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to you be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This was Paul's prayer to the brethren in Ephesians, and it should be ours as well. It's taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and it is the second of two prayers that Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. And it contains our theme verse for our congregational focus for 2023, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I want us to look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21 in greater detail. As we think about being rooted and grounded in love, which is our focus particularly in quarter three of this year, which begins next Sunday. So if you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And as you're turning there, I'll just join in what Travis said in welcoming all those who are here this morning. We have a good number with us, including a good number of visitors. We're glad you're here. And we hope that we afford you the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth and to think about some things, hopefully, that will uh, draw you closer to Christ, that will improve your walk in Jesus, or perhaps even inform you on what you need to do in order to be right with Him. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 begins this way. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. As Christians, we're part of a family. And he describes this whole family in terms of those who are in heaven and on earth. The idea is that we are part of a church, a church that is comprised of people who are living now here on earth, but it also includes those who have passed on from this life, those who are in the heavenlies, as he talks about in great detail in a number of places in the book of Ephesians. That's our family. And this whole family is named, that we're identified because of our relationship with Christ. Our family name is from God. We are identified by our relationship with Jesus. You think about that. All of the descriptors that we see in our Bibles of those who would be part of this family. Well, we are described as Christians. It's tied in Christ. We are part of the religion known as Christianity, tied to Christ. Together, in heaven and on earth, this whole family makes up what is known as the, the church of Christ. Christ's church, also called the body of Christ. And when we became a Christian, we confessed Jesus as the Christ. Baptized into Christ, and now we pray in the name of Christ. And strive to be disciples of Christ, following the doctrine or teaching of Christ. Until... 
we all might be conformed to the image of Christ. Our name, who we are, is tied to Jesus and our relationship with Him. And so his prayer, beginning in verse 16, is this, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, His Spirit in the inner man and Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith is is describing the same thing. When we learn of Christ's character as revealed by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to us, and we apply that to who we really are, when His Spirit becomes our spirit, when His character becomes our character, that is what being rooted and grounded in Christ and the faith is all about. But it doesn't stop there. Christ, and specifically His love, is the foundation for our Christian life. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Who did he say could understand this idea of being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ? He says, with all the saints in verse 18. Everybody, including us, including you and me, should be able to comprehend and know and understand and experience what it is to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. As he had said earlier in this same chapter back in verse 4, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Just as Paul understood this, we should be able to understand it as well. That was the expectation, that everyone who is a Christian for all time can understand Christ's love and make application of that love and have Christ dwelling in us by faith because of that love. But the rest of verse 19 um, produces what we might call a paradox of this expectation and understanding. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, all the saints are supposed to know that, but then he says that you may be filled with all, uh, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. The love of Christ that we're all supposed to understand at the same time passes knowledge. We can't fully understand what it means that Christ loves us, that the God of the universe loved us so much that He came and died on a cross. But we can get far closer because of what God has revealed to us than we ever would have been able to conceive on our own. We can be rooted and grounded in this love. But notice... Uh, Maybe this is a small thing, and sometimes we preachers are prone to to point out small things and make them bigger than they are, but I think this is kind of a big thing. Did you notice that he says that we are rooted and grounded in love? Now, we've talked over the course of this year that there are two metaphors being used there, one of a plant that has roots going down in the ground and one of a building, a a foundation that's that's built upon something solid. He says that we are rooted and grounded in love, 
not that we are rooted and grounded on love. And so I think that small difference uh, is a difference, both in, both in English and in the original Greek. Verse 17 that we just read uses the preposition in in Greek, meaning in or into or among. Earlier in chapter 2 and verse 20, the similar metaphor is used, but it's a different preposition, epi, meaning on. Read chapter 2 and verse 20 with me of Ephesians. Having been built on, epi, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So while those two images, those two metaphors of a foundation and a building, roots and a plant, are both present, the primary metaphor that's being used there in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 is this idea of soil one of roots that are going down into the soil. And so love provides not just the grounding we need to stand firm on something, it also provides the nutrients we need to continue to grow. Love is the soil into which our Christian roots are to be rooted and grounded. And that's the reason why we can grow so well and so quickly in our faith, in our knowledge, and in our love as well. And so the question I want us to answer is this. What is this soil of love into which we are planted? Well, it is woven into the story of the Bible, but it is seen most clearly in Jesus himself. Three things. What is this soil of love? Well, it begins with the greatest commandment in the law. That's a foundation for these ideas. If you turn to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. At least twice in the Gospels, we find recorded unique occasions where Jesus has a a similar exchange with an expert in the law over what is the greatest commandment. The Jews in Jesus' day, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, they love to debate. They love to get around and talk about things and talk about different rabbis and what this rabbi thought and that rabbi thought and what was the greatest command and what did you believe was the greatest command and what did you believe was the greatest command. They love doing stuff like that. And so they brought up some of these questions to a rabbi named Jesus. They wanted him to answer this. Uh, on one occasion in Luke's gospel, a scribe comes to him and asks him that question and he doesn't answer. He says, well, you're a lawyer. You tell me what's the greatest commandment in the law, and and he gets the answer right. Here in Matthew chapter 22, what's also found in Mark's gospel, uh, we see Jesus answer this question a little more directly. Notice in verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, Which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, are the summation of the law and the prophets, and they are also the motivation to perform all of the things that God required in the law and the prophets. But the law and the prophets were still there. They were still hanging upon this foundation. Uh, That's mixing my metaphors a little bit. But they were hanging upon this fundamental truth, these two fundamental laws or ideas. 
All of God's teaching that was found in the law and the prophets is grounded in love. But we need, the Jews certainly needed that example and teaching of the law and prophets. And even more, we need the example and teaching of Jesus Christ and His apostles so that we might make proper application of this love. So that we might know truly what it is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind. And what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourself. Which brings us to the second soil of love. It is the perfect example that is seen in Jesus Christ. And there are so many places to which we could turn at this point, but notice just one passage with me. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we'll just stay here in John chapter 15 for our next two points. In John chapter 15, as Jesus is giving final instructions to His closest companions, His apostles, Judas has already left to betray Him, but eleven remain. And Jesus has these final instructions that He wants to get across to them before His death. And He says, beginning in verse 9 of John chapter 15, right after this section that talks about being rooted and grounded in Him, that that He is the vine and we are the branches, notice what He says in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. You know what the love of God looks like because of the way I've loved you, he says. Now I expect you to abide, to live in that kind of love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I've given you the example of how to love. I've shown you clearly what that love looks like, but I've also taught you. I've given you some commandments. This is the way you are supposed to love other people. And then the greatest example, if we drop down to verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus came to give us this example of love. Jesus took those two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor, and he showed us how to live them daily and practically. He applied them in the ultimate and greatest way. He sacrificed Himself because... Why did Jesus die on a cross? For two reasons. Because He loved His Father and because He loved His neighbor. And so He shows us what this love looks like. And He calls us. He commands us to love in the same way. And so the third soil is this. The new commandment of Christ. If you're still there in John chapter 15, we skip verse 12. This is what Jesus said. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is new, unprecedented, totally different kind of love, that God would sacrifice Himself for us when we were His enemies. We have to love one another like that. And this, this is the way other people can see us and know that we are truly disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, Christians, that we have grown from this kind of soil when we love one another as Christ has loved us. That was exactly his point earlier in the night in John chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus says, John 13, 34, 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. This is the soil in which all of our actions should be grounded. Um, The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? I'll I'll save you the suspense. No, that's not true of me. Everything that I do isn't done in love, but I'm working on it. I'm working toward it. And the funny thing is, all that we do being done in love is so pivotal because it's not just a matter of the actions we take. Uh, We studied in our Bible class this morning from the book of Nehemiah and how our actions should match up with what's in our heart. Let's kind of reverse that a little bit um, in our lesson this morning. We can take the same action, and it could be a good action, but it could be motivated by something different, right? Uh, It could come from a different soil if we want to use the metaphor that we're using this morning. Uh, This is a a, a silly, trivial, physical example, but maybe it'll get the point across. Um, I played basketball and football in high school, among other things. And that was the same action, right? I'm playing a sport. Generally, that's the same action. I chose to play this sport, to be on this team, But that action for me was rooted in two totally different things. Basketball was rooted in love. I I love the sport. To this day, I love the sport. I loved everything about it. I love playing it. I love watching it. I love practicing. I love breaking down film. If it was connected to basketball, I loved it. I love the connection with others that I had through the sport of basketball. Yes, through my teammates and others that I met, but also specifically the connection that I had with my dad, who was a basketball player and a basketball coach, the connection I had with my uncle, who was a basketball player and a basketball coach that I'd go spend uh, at least a week with every summer playing basketball every day, the connection I even had with my grandmother, who was a great basketball player in, in her own respect. I had this connection with others, and I loved that connection that I had because of the sport of basketball. Um, I love the environment in which basketball was played. I, I, to this day, I love a basketball gym. I love the smell of it. I love the, the sounds of it. I love the sound of the ball on the, on the floor. There were few things better, few environments that were more passionate and exciting to me than a little bitty tiny gym that was filled to the rafters and everybody was foaming at the mouth. They were so into the game. That was something that I loved. And so my love for basketball was what motivated me to play. But football came from a different soil. It came from a different motivation. It was rooted in different things. Football was rooted by a sense of duty. Uh, I went to a small school, and as a decent athlete, you know, you were kind of hurting the team, letting everybody down if you didn't play several sports. And football was the most important sport. And so I had this sense of duty. Uh, It was motivated by a desire to please others. There were friends and coaches who wanted me to play, who encouraged me to play, and so I played. 
There was some FOMO. There was some fear of missing out. Football was the biggest thing, the most important thing. I mean, there were going to be three times as many people at the football games as at the basketball games. And, you know, you kind of wanted to be a part of that. And we were good at football. I mean, we'd go to the playoffs every year and win a few games. There was some FOMO, and so I played. And I'll admit, there was some selfish pride involved in it, too. I wanted to show that I could do it and that I was good at it. As for the environment, well, there are few things better in this world than running out of the tunnel into the Friday night lights. But when it was 10 degrees or 100 degrees, I just wanted it to be over, man. So here's my question. Which soil grew the better player? You know, I've been throwing a ball since before I can remember. I was naturally a great passer. I had to work more at basketball, but I ended up being a much better basketball player than football player. Which of those two endeavors endured? Well, I quit football after my junior year. I was just tired of it. I didn't want to do it anymore. But if somebody challenged me to a game of one-on-one right now, I'd change out of these boots and put on some tennis shoes, right? That has endured long past my uh, desire to play any football in it. Now, I know, that's a silly example, but the soil matters, and it matters even more with things that have eternal significance. And so the question we should ask ourselves in regard to our actions is, is everything I do done in love? When someone is unkind or even vicious toward me, my response should be rooted and grounded in love. When someone is manipulative and egotistical, my response should be rooted and grounded in love. When someone that I know is hurting or in sorrow, my response should be rooted and grounded in love. When someone is being unwise, going down the wrong path, and I can see it, my response should be rooted and grounded in love. When someone comes to me questioning me on why I'm doing something, saying what I'm doing is unwise or even rebuking me, my response should be rooted and grounded in love. When I suffer, whether they be tribulations or trials or even persecution, which is coincidentally the context of what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, therefore I bow my knees to the Father. He's bowing his knees to the Father because they're going to go through tribulations and he wants them to be able to endure that. So when I go through these things, I can endure because I am rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. When I speak the truth, as he says earlier in the book of Ephesians, it should be rooted and grounded in love. When I am blessed by God, I will be grateful or should be grateful to Him and use it as a blessing to others because I am rooted and grounded in love. Love for my Father, love for my neighbor. When I worship, I will not view it as a drudgery or a box to be checked or make it all about me instead of about God or others because I am rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And when I repent of my sin and humility, as a Christian, I know I am forgiven because I am rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. But in all of those 
scenarios. I didn't tell you the specific action to take place. What you should do because you're rooted and grounded in love, that's where the example and the teaching of Christ comes in. That love has to be the genuine, legitimate, Christ-like love that Jesus showed and Jesus demands. And there are so many things we know that are called love, people calling things love, even calling them the love of Christ or the love a Christian should have that have very little in common with who Christ actually was or how He actually loved. For example, um, I read a social media post by a self-proclaimed Christian recently, and he was condemning his grandmother for confronting and condemning him because of what she viewed to be his sin. She confronted him about it. She condemned him and said, this is wrong, this is sin. I think she even went so far as to say, I think you're going to go to hell if you keep doing this. And he condemned her, and he said this, among other things. When I looked in her eyes, I saw anger. No sign of Jesus. Well, I wasn't there. I don't know either one of these people personally. But I know this. Just because she was angry doesn't mean her actions weren't motivated by the love of Jesus. Right? Turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, if you would. I use this example not because there aren't others that we could use to show how people misapply the love of Christ. I use it because we, I think, have been taught wrongly that anger and love are somehow against one another, opposites of one another antithesis of one another. But here in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we see the anger of Christ on display. This is what the, the account says. Mark says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, And he, Jesus, entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Now, as we go through these verses, here's the question I want you to ask yourself. What was the motivation for Jesus' anger on this occasion. Okay, So he comes into the synagogue. He sees a man with a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Uh, these are the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious rulers. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him, that they might bring charges against him of, of breaking the Sabbath. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Step forward. Can you imagine the hush that, that fell over the synagogue as this man stepped forward and everybody's like, what's he going to do? Then he said to them, is it lawful? That was the question. They want to bring charges against him. So he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. They refused to answer his question. And when, notice, he had looked around them, at them, with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So the question stands. What was the motivation for his anger? Remember Paul's admonition, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Don't you think that applies to Jesus as well? 
that Jesus' anger on this occasion came from the soil of His love. Certainly that begins with His compassion for the man with the withered hand. Over and over in the Gospels we see His love for people in, in, in places like this who were outcast, who were hurting, who were broken. We also, no doubt, see His love for others like this man who had been taken advantage of and neglected by the religious elite. Certainly we know His love for the law and the Sabbath that these same people had misunderstood and misapplied and abused. Jesus loved the law of God and He wanted the Sabbath law to be applied correctly. But even more, He saw the hardness of the hearts of these people who refused to answer. And He had love for these men who sought to accuse Him. And He was trying to wake them up to their sin so that they could repent. And perhaps these were some of the same ones shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him. When in love, He looked down from the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And perhaps these were some of the same men who in Acts chapter 2 cried out, saying, men and brethren, what shall we do? And because of the love of Christ, had the opportunity to repent, be baptized, and be forgiven of their sins. Jesus' anger was motivated by His love. Would we have that same kind of loving anger? How do we respond in every situation? Well, if we are rooted and grounded in love, all that we do will be done in love, just like Jesus. But we have to see clearly what His love really looked like. And that's why our focus for this quarter... Um, being rooted and grounded in love aligns perfectly with our Bible classes on Sunday mornings and our daily Bible readings for the rest of the year. Christ, the faith, Christ's love. Those are the three focuses focuses that we've had uh, in the first three quarters of this year. Those three foundations that we've talked about being intertwined to such a degree we can't even really break them apart. They can only be understood correctly through the lens of Jesus, who He was, what He did, how He taught, and how He loved. And for the next two quarters on our Sunday morning Bible classes, uh, starting down with some of our youngest kids all the way through our adults, we'll be studying about Jesus, July through September, Jesus, manger to master, teacher, and October through December, Jesus, son, and savior. So with all of that in mind, let me make two applications and the lesson will be yours. Number one, first application. Uh, the elders, the church here, has a gift for every family who is here. Um, these books that you saw in the foyer, A Harmony of the Four Gospels, uh, this is for every family. There's enough for every family in the congregation. Even if you're a family of one, uh, you get one of these books. And we have a number of extras, so uh, if need be, we can even order more. So even if you're visiting with us, and this is something that you would like to take with you, we, we encourage you to pick one of these up on the table there in the foyer. Uh, what are these books? Well, they're a harmony of the four Gospels. They put all of the four Gospels together side by side in roughly chronological order. Uh, and that's what that looks like on the inside. Um, if you can see that, you don't have to actually read the words, but um, you see what this looks like on the inside. So number one, uh, we have Luke 1, 1 through 4. 
Number two, we have John 1, 1 through 5, and 9 through 13. So the accounts are placed in order, and they're placed in chronological order with the accounts being together. Uh, Now, with our daily Bible readings, we have new bookmarks for the month of July. Uh, We also will have these in the email and in the Keeping in Touch and all the other places where we put this. They'll be available on our website. So you see these bookmarks as well. And so our first class for July will be from the book of Malachi as we finish the Old Testament. Our second class will be a timeline class to orient us as to where we are in all of these events. Our third class, if I zoom in here a little more, Starting on July 10th will be Jesus Comes to Earth. And you see here it says reading numbers and page numbers are taken from a harmony of the four Gospels. So here's what we have in these readings. Uh, If you'll give me just a moment to explain this. I know you could all figure this out on your own, but maybe it'll be a little bit easier this way. So we see here number one and number two. uh, That is referring to these headings of the different events that we see. So on day one, you'll read number one and number two. Then we have a page number, page 13. That tells you the page in this book right here where those readings are taken from. Now, out beside that, we also have some verses. We have Luke 1, 1 through 4, John 1, 1 through 5, and 9 through 13. Those are the passages of Scripture that are found in that. Now, if you wanted to, you don't have to use this book or or go through it in this way, of course, Uh, If you just wanted to read Luke 1, 1 through 4, and John 1, 1 through 5, and 9 through 13 in your own Bible, certainly you can do that, Um, and that would be just as good in so many ways. But there's one way that this harmony, I think, really helps us, um, really helps us as we consider the text of the four Gospels. Again, the Gospels are placed side by side. You see here, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are just columns right here because John is giving us information that the other four Gospels do not. But if we go to a place like when Jesus uh, is placed in the tomb, you see all four Gospels refer to that account. And, And I think this is the coolest thing about this book. It is truly a harmony, meaning it puts all of the accounts together where you can read straight through without missing any information. And so you see that some of this is bolded, so it would look like this. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Because it was the Jewish uh, day of preparation and the Sabbath was about to begin, and since the tomb was nearby... They laid Jesus there. Then Joseph rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, Joseph, who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph and, sitting there opposite the tomb, saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Uh, That you can read through all of these accounts at one time. Now, what we've done with our bookmarks, if you choose not to do that, that's fine. Uh, If it's something like this where you have all four accounts are speaking to it, we don't give you all four accounts. We just give you the the gospel account that is the most complete, that has the most information, and certainly you can read through it in that way as well. But I want you to encourage to think about doing it in this way. Uh, 
so that we can get the full picture of what Jesus did as we look at these events. Uh, Pick up one of these bookmarks, pick up one of these books, and if you've not been reading our daily Bible readings, or if you've stopped reading our daily Bible readings, no guilt. No guilt about that. That's in the past. Can't do anything about that. But this is the perfect time to start back up as we enter into the New Testament. And so I call on you, first application, to commit, find a time and a place to read, especially with your family, and start a new habit of Bible reading uh, if you've fallen off the wagon on that so that we can know what the love of Christ really looks like. And then finally, my second and final application is this. We know that people are rooted and grounded in all sorts of things. We just have to look around at our friends and family and coworkers, classmates. People are rooted and grounded in bitterness or resentment or ego or materialism or selfishness or pleasure or tribe. Even better, uh, good things sometimes. People are rooted and grounded in knowledge, in the pursuit of knowledge or unity or family or religion or tolerance or good works. But all of those things into which people might be rooted and grounded ultimately fall short of the love of Christ. And so I call on all of us who are Christians to go this week and to think to ourselves as we take an action or we react to somebody else, is this action or this reaction, this thought, this word that I'm about to say, is it rooted and grounded in love? And that examination of self might yield uh, surprising results. The answer might be no more than we would like. But my prayer is the same as Paul's in Ephesians chapter 3. That God, according to the riches of His glory, might strengthen us through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That we might be rooted and grounded in love. And if you need to be planted into the love of Christ, even this morning, to sprout and grow as a Christian, the opportunity to come to Christ, be baptized into Christ, and follow after Christ as His disciple stands before you. What you must do is trust Him because He loves you and obey Him because He loves you. And we call you to do that even as we stand together and sing this song. When we walk with the Lord.